0: The Mississippi River is over 2,000 miles long and flows through 10 states in America. The river is vital to several industries for its drainage system, its ability to generate hydroelectric power and for the several species of fish that swims in its waters. It's where water skiing was invented and was also the setting in many Mark Twain novels. The Mississippi holds a lot of historical relevance, cultural importance and is vital to the ecosystem in several states. The river also holds many tragic secrets and unsolved mysteries and the one we will be discussing today is darker than most. Trigger warning, we will be discussing the deaths of four newborn babies as we uncover the unsolved deaths of Corey, Jamie, Abby and Angel Doe. Hello and welcome to the 45th episode of Uncovered True Crime Podcast, where each episode we uncover a different unsolved true crime case, ranging from unsolved murders, missing persons, Jane and John Doe's, and suspicious deaths. You can listen to the podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast streaming apps, as well as on YouTube by searching Uncovered True Crime. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Uncover underscore pod, on Instagram at Uncover True Crime pod, and you can join the Uncover True Crime discussion group on Facebook. But without any further ado, let's uncover the unsolved deaths of Corey, Jamie, Abby and Angel Doe. On the 4th of November 1999, the body of a newborn female was found wrapped in a towel in the Mississippi River in Goodhue County, Minnesota. The baby has since been named Jamie, so that's how I'll be referring to her going forward. I don't believe it has ever been conclusively determined how Jamie died or if she was still alive when she entered the water, but we will get onto that a little bit later. I also couldn't find any information on whether Jamie had water in her lungs meaning that we don't know if she took a breath outside of the womb, but as the umbilical cord was still attached when she was found with no evidence of a plastic clip or clamp, it is unlikely she was birthed in a hospital. She had only been in the water for one to two weeks at most, meaning that she had likely been put there sometime after the 21st of October 1999. Jamie was 21 inches long, weighed around 6 pounds, had straight brown hair, dark eyes and was most likely Caucasian. This discovery is enough to shock any community, but little did they know that this was not the only time an infant would be found in this same part of the Mississippi River. Four years later, on the 7th of December 2003, another newborn baby, this time a male, was found in the Mississippi River on the edge of Lake Pepin in Goodhue, Minnesota. Again, no cause of death has been released, and we don't know if the baby, who has since been nicknamed Corey, was even born alive. However, we do know that he was born between one to two weeks before he was found, which is sometime between the 23rd of November and the 5th of December 2003. Corey Doe was 14 inches long, weighed around 7 pounds, had black curly hair, and DNA tests prove that he was maternally related to Jamie Doe, meaning that they were most likely brother and sister. The thought that someone could do this once is devastating, but to do it twice is almost too much to comprehend. And while these are the only two victims that we know for a fact are related, they were not the only two babies to be discovered. On the 26th of March 2007, two employees at the Treasure Island Marina in Goodhue, Minnesota found the body of a newborn female in the water. The girl, who has since been nicknamed Abby, had no signs of congenital abnormalities and was either full term or was close to being full term. Again, we don't know how she died or if she was born alive, but this time it was harder to determine when she had been placed in the water or when she had been born as the medical examiner determined that it could have been as soon as a few weeks before she was found or as far back as autumn or winter of 2006. She was either Caucasian or Indian American, weighed 6 pounds, measured 21 inches long and had black curly hair, which was 3 centimetres in length and sadly, she wouldn't be the last infant to be found in the water. On the 5th of September 2011, a family was sailing in the Mississippi celebrating Labor Day, and when they were around six miles south of Winona, Minnesota, they discovered a large yellow canvas bag. They scooped the bag out of the water and opened it to find a newborn baby girl, wrapped in a green short-sleeved t-shirt with a faded design on the front. Inside the bags were several other items, including a bracelet with blue and silver beads, and an eight centimetre pendant attached, two porcelain angel music boxes, one of which played The Wind Beneath My Wings, a ceramic Precious Moments Angel Bell, and a tan coloured bag that had a sun, sailboats, and the word Manzanillo written on it. Due to all the angel figures found alongside her, she was named Angel Doe. While the date of Abby's death was harder to determine than Corey and Jamie's, it was easier with Angel Doe. She had died less than 24 hours before being discovered, meaning that she had died on either the 4th or 5th of September 2011. She had probably been born at the start of September, as the Winona police told CBS that she was only a few days old when she died. Although I don't know if they are certain that she lived for a few days, or if this was just a possibility. If the former is true, Someone spent at least two or three days with Angel. They likely fed her, held her and cared for her before putting her body in that bag. They cared for her enough to place her alongside several angels, which to me suggests that they were possibly religious and wanted to ensure that she would go to heaven. Angel had a fractured skull, although police have been very clear that they don't know how she died or how the fractured skull occurred which I'm assuming means it is possible that this happened post-mortem. Angel was 20 inches long, weighed around 6 pounds, and had brown hair. She was the fourth baby to be found in 10 years in the same part of the Mississippi, and she was indeed the last. I can't imagine how hard it must be to investigate the death of one dead baby, let alone four. As I've mentioned, the cause of deaths of the four babies have never been released, but according to the Goodhue County Sheriff Dean Albers, police believe that Corey and Jamie were still alive when they went into the water, although I'm not sure if this is a speculation, or based on whether or not they were found to have water in their lungs. I also think it is very possible that they do in fact know how the babies died but given the sensitive nature of the cases, I can totally understand why they wouldn't disclose that as these cases are upsetting enough as it is. As most of the babies were found with the umbilical cord still attached, it is likely that most, if not all of them, were born somewhere other than a hospital. This means that there could have been complications during labour and delivery that led to the baby's deaths, or the mother kept the pregnancy a secret for whatever reason and didn't know how else to handle the situation other than to kill the baby and dispose of their bodies. The National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children created a facial reconstruction of Jamie, Abby and Corey Doe, but personally I think it is unlikely that anyone will recognise the babies from these pictures. The babies were probably kept secret for most people in the parents' lives, but it is possible that the babies resemble one or both of their parents, and that someone that knew their parents when they were young children could see their resemblance and call in a tip that way. It is also important to point out that while Jamie, Corey and Abby were wearing clothes in their reconstructions, this was purely for illustrative purposes, and as far as I am aware, none of the babies were found clothed. As far as leads go, police haven't revealed much, but there was a 30 to 40-year-old woman seen anchoring a white sea ray boat with a cabin around the same time the Angel Doe was found. We don't know if she is connected to the case, but several people have been DNA tested to see if they are related to Jamie, Angel, Abby or Corey, and as of January 2021, no matches have been found. As it has been determined that Jamie and Corey were related, but police have not made comment on whether Abby and Angel were, I am more inclined to believe that they were not, as they do have DNA from all four babies. While it is hard to believe that someone could do this to not just one, but two of their babies, I don't know if that's better or worse than to think that there is more than one woman in this area who has given birth and then placed their babies in the Mississippi. When it comes to Corey and Jamie's death, Goodhue County Sheriff Dean Albers made his thoughts crystal clear, quote, To do it once, I think society can understand. They wouldn't condone it, but they can understand a desperate act by a young girl. To kill two children, we are just in a whole different situation. What we have with these first two children is cold-blooded murder. If there was one child, you might see it as an act of a desperate mother. But what I think we have here is premeditated murder. Unquote. Captain Pat Thompson from the Goodhue County Sheriff Department revealed that they have a possible profile for Abby Doe's mother. Although I think that this profile could also fit Corey, Jamie and Angel's mothers as well. They believe that she was likely on the younger end of childbearing age, either kept her pregnancy a secret or at least tried to hide it from those around her. She probably didn't receive antenatal care, she would have withdrew from school or work around the time the child was born and as I have previously stated, she would have given birth to the baby out with a hospital. They also think that all four of the babies were placed in the water close to where they were found. They did not drift there by the current of the water, meaning that they were likely from the Goodhue area. While it is hard to imagine why anyone would do something like this, I think it's important that we at least try. So I'm going to discuss infanticide, which I can't even believe has its own name. Infanticide is the killing of a child less than a year old, and neonaticide is the term used to describe the murder of a child less than a day old. While it is rare compared to other types of killings, Rates of infanticide is higher in India than any other country in the world. This is partially because male children can carry on the family name and lineage, males can earn the family more money, and the family will receive a dowry if he was to marry. Whereas females are not valued as highly, and some families cannot afford to raise a female child who will have almost no career prospects and they would also need to pay the dowry before she could marry into a new family. Infanticide and neonaticide happen all over the world and for a lot of different reasons. In the UK, studies show that poverty is a significant factor as most of the victim's mothers are unemployed and in their early 20s, although many of their mothers also suffer from psychiatric disorders and in Japan the motive behind these killings often stems from the baby being disabled in some way. The term infanticide was first coined in 1969 by Philip Resnick who was a professor of psychiatry at the Case Medical Center in Ohio. He did so in order to distinguish these particular crimes from filicide, which is the act of a mother killing their child regardless of their age. According to him, the typical profile for someone who commits neonaticide is a 19-year-old unmarried woman who probably still lives at home and can't bring herself to tell her parents that she has had premarital sex and become pregnant for fear that they will disown her. These women deliver alone, without pain relief, and without crying out for fear of discovery. Sometimes the parents are in a different room of the house. Then the mothers manage to wipe up all the blood, dispose of the baby and do all of this unaided. In that sense, you can see how the women are much more terrified of the discovery than they are of actually taking a human life. Unquote. He specifically commented on the fact that Jamie and Corey's mother committed neonaticide twice. Quote, The second would obviously be easier than the first if they had successfully avoided detection the first time and knew what to expect. I haven't seen any report where someone was convicted of neonaticide and then went on to do it again, Generally speaking, infanticide and neonaticide are far more likely to occur if the mother is poor is isolated or estranged from friends and family and has been the victim of domestic abuse. Studies have also shown that these women also tend to have lower IQs, substance abuse issues, mental health issues and patterns of abuse. And from my research, it seems as though the infants are usually killed by their mother, although this might not always be the case, especially if the female is in an abusive relationship. While we know that Jamie and Corey likely shared the same mother, we don't know if police were able to determine whether or not they shared the same father. If so, I think the abusive relationship theory seems more likely, although it is possible that at least one of the mothers suffered from postpartum psychosis. According to the Eastern Journal of Medicine, postpartum psychosis is quote, the most severe psychiatric disorder in the postpartum period that requires immediate intervention, unquote, yet it is not listed as a disorder in its own right in the DSM-5. Postpartum psychosis is very rare amongst new mothers, but usually rears its ugly head in the first two weeks after the mother has given birth. Dr. Martin Williams, a psychologist from the University of California, said this about postpartum psychosis, quote... Postpartum psychosis can be a one-shot episode, and in that case, the behaviour can be completely out of character. But there are some people who have chronic psychotic problems that are exacerbated by postpartum psychosis. If there's a chronic mental illness, you could see how the circumstances could reoccur in another baby. The horrible thing about postpartum psychosis is that if the person is not psychotic later... They have full awareness of what they have done. The very same awareness that you and I have. Unquote. Apart from the fact that four very young lives ended before they even started, the thing about this case that hits me the hardest is that the same woman gave birth to Corey after having had possibly killed and abandoned Jamie. My first thought was how could she possibly let this happen a second time? Why wouldn't she take precautions to make sure she couldn't conceive again? And when she did, why did she not take steps to ensure this tragedy wouldn't happen again? And I'm sure many of you are thinking the same thing. But we need to remember that we don't know the circumstances that precipitated this. It is possible that the mother is being held against her will, abused and unable to escape, unable to seek help and is at the mercy of a monster who harmed and abandoned the children that he fathered. While yes, this may sound far-fetched, This is an extreme situation, and in times where the unimaginable happens, our brains do our best to rationalise it as best we can in our minds, and this is mine. Another thing I am confused by is that there are three different mothers in this case, who possibly killed their babies and put them in the Mississippi River, and that doesn't seem like a coincidence to me. I don't know how to explain this, I don't know if it's possible that they knew each other, and perhaps helped each other out with disposing of their babies, I don't know. But to me, it just doesn't seem like a coincidence. However, all I hope is that Angel, Abby, Jamie and Corey are in a better place now, and that one day they will receive justice, because it truly is the least that they deserved. There is very little hope that can be gleaned from cases like these, but perhaps there is a small amount of comfort to be found in the fact that Jamie, Abby, Angel and Corey were not laid to rest alone. Good Hugh resident Jean Madsen gave birth to a stillborn baby girl, Anne Marie, in 1989, and when she heard about all four of the babies, she decided that they all deserved a name and a place to be laid to rest. So she and her husband Don named all four of the children and held funerals for the babies and buried them in their family's plot in Red Wing's Oakwood Cemetery. She told ABC News, quote, I didn't want them to be alone. I would have traded anything I have to have had a chance to have a child. And here we have someone, for some reason, who gets to have two and throw them away. They didn't realize that a child is a gift from God. Jamie Doe's case is what inspired Minnesota adopting a safe haven law, meaning that mothers can anonymously hand over their babies to a hospital within three days of their birth if they are unable to care for them and will not face any legal consequences as a result of doing so. I am now going to give a brief description of all four babies again. All four of the babies were newborn and at most were a couple of days old. Jamie Doe was found on the 4th of November 1999. She had been in the water for two weeks at most, meaning that she was probably born in mid to late October to early November. She was 21 inches long, weighed around 6 pounds, had straight brown hair. Dark eyes and was most likely Caucasian. Cory was found on the seventh of December two thousand and three. He was likely placed in the water sometime between the twenty-third of November to the fifth of December. He was fourteen inches long, weighed around seven pounds and had black curly hair and he is Jamie Doe's younger brother. Abby was found on the 26th of March 2007 and was placed in the water sometime between autumn 2006 and spring 2007. She was either Caucasian or Indian American. She weighed around six pounds, measured twenty-one inches long, and had black curly hair which was three centimeters long. Angel Doe was found on the fifth of September two thousand and eleven. She was twenty-one inches long weighed around six pounds and had brown hair. She was found in a large yellow canvas bag alongside a green short-sleeved t-shirt with a faded design on the front, a bracelet with blue and silver beads and an eight centimetre pendant attached, two porcelain angel music boxes, one of which played the wind beneath my wings, a ceramic Precious Moments angel bell and a tanned coloured bag with a sun, sailboats, and the word Manazillo written on it. Anyone with information about the deaths of Corey, Jamie, Angel or Abby Doe are urged to contact the Goodhue County Sheriff's Department on 651 385 3155 or you can call the anonymous tip line on 1866 887 4357 And as always, all this information will be in the description of this episode. All photos and sources related to this case can be found on our website, uncovertruecrimepodcast.co.uk. I know that every week I thank you for listening to the very end, and I do always mean it, but for everyone who's listening right now, thank you so much for listening to this case. I know it was a hard episode to listen to. Trust me, I'm sure you can tell by my voice that it was a very hard one to record. But oftentimes I think that the most tragic of cases are the ones that need the most publicity. So please, if you live in the Minnesota area, please consider sharing this case on your social media. I know it's a tough one, but these babies deserve justice. They deserved way more than that. These babies had such a short and cruel life, and I think the very least that we owe them is to give them some justice. So again, thank you for listening to the very end. Please stay safe, and have a good night.